All Gosh, right. how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fantastic. Um, I I understand that you might might be a bit a uh, bit tired today. Yeah, it's a beautiful Wednesday, or is it still Tuesday? I don't know. I was up uh, <laughs> responding to some alert, some alerts last night, but um, nothing nothing too bad. But um, yeah, so I'm a little tired, but hey, you know, it comes with the comes with the territory, right? <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, you know, working in engineering, especially uh, alerts are just part of the game and. Uh, do you have like pager duty where you work or um yeah we use ops genie okay um yeah so but yeah i mean i boy uh, yeah pager duty nagios i remember maybe that's dating me i don't know do people still use nagios <laughs> i haven't heard anyone using that for a bit yeah and i, I mean i don't know maybe, maybe there's still people that use like a uh, physical pagers or something too I mean, that might still be a thing i yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, like fax machines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I heard this funny story. I worked for uh, you know a company in the travel agency space, and apparently, fax machines are still used a lot in that area for hotel bookings. Hotels still use them. In the space I'm at now, dentist offices they still use uh, fax machines a bit. And uh, I remember hearing a story about a guy who had just saved up fax machines in a storage unit for years and years and years, and uh, now you know made pretty good money um, selling them to the people who still use them. So you never know that storage room <laughs> full of pagers that you have, Joe, could could really come out. They handy. might. They literally <laughs> in that case, yeah. So. Awesome. Well, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Joshua Bowles, and uh, I work right now um, at a company called Weave. Um, I've worked at a lot of startups um, in the Utah Valley area, um, and um, you, you know, mostly in um, the BI world, the data world. Um, my background is actually in linguistics, um, both kind of traditional and documentary linguistics, but also uh, formal and computational and mathy type of linguistics. Um, and so that's kind of the bridge of how I ended up in software and software engineering. Um, it's, it's a subfield of AI. Uh, and that's how, you know, I always ended up wherever I worked somehow in the, in the data space close to BI or any of that stuff, because I was um, always looking for opportunities and trying to push, you know, um, the startups that I was at um, to adopt any kind of, any kind of ML, particularly with natural language, since that was kind of, you know, my thing. So um yeah, that's that's kind of I guess the quick intro to me. Nice. Yeah, and you're and you're, uh, you're currently in where's that? Um, St. George, uh, Utah. Yeah, yeah. I live. Yep, I live in St. George, Utah. I've been here for um, seven years, uh, and I've worked full time remote um, all of those years. That's cool. So, that's really cool. We can yeah. do that too. I've always uh, wondered about you know. Uh, dev or data people who who you know work in i guess uh 
St. George is in a small town, but it's not a big town. But I guess there's no town in Utah that's really big um, by, <laughs> you know, Manhattan standards or anything, right? Or um, L.A. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, kind of kind of rewinding though. But you know, you um, talked about your background in uh, linguistics, um, NLP. I mean, when did you get into that? Um. I got into that even in even as an undergraduate. Um, I uh, I actually wanted to be a novelist, and wow. uh, and I thought, oh yeah. So I I signed up for an English degree and uh, realized, oh, there's this thing called linguistics, which is the science of language. And I thought, well, if 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 you understand the science of language, then you should probably be able to write. Uh, a better book <laughs> and um, then I fell in, yeah I fell in love with linguistics um, and um, a lot of mathematical logic and realized that there was actually a very um, rich tradition um, of logic and kind of cross-pollination of ideas between um, very early computer science um, stuff like the 1950s and even back into the 1930s. I don't know if there was computer science in the 1930s, but, um, but yeah, you know, there, there's, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it was definitely the foundations of computer science were developing back then. I don't think they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And so, yeah. And so, uh, um, so originally, yeah, it was just cause I, I, I liked language and I wanted to, uh, to work with it. And, um, and as I got more and more into, um, a lot of the formalization, um, and the mathy side of things, I was never much of an algebra or calculus person, but, um, once I got into the, the kind of math where some of the foundations of computer science and linguistics converge, um, so a lot of meta mathematics and, mm. and logic and, stuff like that. Um, I really just kind of fell in love with it. And, um, at that time, um, artificial intelligence w was a thing and machine learning was a thing. Um, but I remember being laughed at in graduate school when I talked about neural networks, <laughs> people were like, what <laughs> neural networks, silly, silly stuff. That's so true though. There was a period of time when neural networks, uh, were written off for dead. Um, you know, a few other mathematicians, um, slash yeah. machine learning people who said, yeah, these are dumb, they're black boxes. They, they don't work. Um, you know, these are useless and, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, I, yeah, I remember. And, um, and then it was actually in a, a computer program called Pratt, P-R-A-A-T. Uh, and we use that to do a lot of um, uh, voice analysis, uh, a lot of acoustics, physical acoustics and stuff like that. Um, and it had a, a, a couple of um, couple of neural network um, things that you could use for doing some analysis and stuff. And um, yeah, so, you know, my, my interest in that grew and, um, and then I ended up, um, you know, I wanted to be in academia for, you know, I had the blinders on to be in academia um, and do uh, formal linguistics. And um, and uh, and then one one summer, I didn't have enough money, uh, you know, for the teaching load I was doing, and so I went and convinced the company to hire me for an internship for the summer. 
And uh, and they were like, oh, you do AI stuff? Okay, well, I got this task. You, you should do, let's do some AI stuff. And it was around um, um, trying to build an automated bid system for keyword or like SEO keyword bidding with Google AdWords. Um, and uh, we did actually build something like that. And um, it worked too well, oh. which was funny. Yes. <laughs> what, what do you mean by too well? So the the night we released it, we were like, "Hey, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna do this. It's gonna be great." And then um, we came in the next day, and and the guy who was the manager, uh, he came running up to me, and he's like, uh, "We made like seventeen grand and blah 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 blah, or this or that. I can't remember what the numbers were, but he was very I, I, he was very excited. But there was this tone of kind of worry and so i thought well we just made a bunch of money why are you worried uh he was worried because we blew through the entire budget like the whole month's worth of budget so we so the system was bidding on keywords properly and it was um you know and it was it was it was uh it was doing its job but we hadn't really built in anything to account for uh the budget oh. <laughs> so we had, yeah, so we kind of blew through the whole budget. So it was kind of a bittersweet, uh, bittersweet thing. So um, that was how I got into the in, into the business world. And um, after three months, I was like, "Hey, I was surprised." I remember being very surprised that um, I thought I could be happy doing that uh, and not working in a university. So I've, I've I've been been in businesses ever since. That's really cool. I mean, what's interesting now is uh, AI, um, and I'm talking about you know, kind of more formal AI, right? I, I guess like a linguistic sort of, you know, classically linguistic is really, um, you know, sort of bordered on, um, you know, I, I guess classical AI. Like if you look at like the old uh, books like Peter Norvig and, and, and such, right? It's like, mm -hmm. Um, you know, those texts were very much like symbolic reasoning and, and, and so forth, which I, as far as I know, I'm not an expert in this stuff, but it seems to intersect with the, uh, um, you know, the, a lot of the stuff that's in linguistics, but it's interesting seeing this because this stuff is making a massive comeback now, uh, because of the uh, popularity of large language models. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing a lot of this stuff. I don't know if it's being rediscovered, um, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's not being rediscovered. It, if there is some rediscovery, it's in people realizing that this stuff was that the rules-based approach, right? So that's kind of, yeah. And that is where I came out. It was called knowledge engineering, mm. rules-based approach. Um, I learned most of this on my own by just going and grabbing AI books from the nineties. Um, mm. And and that's kind of also how I learned to program a little bit as well. And they were, you know, yeah, but they, you know, the, the books from the nineties, the AI language at that time was Lisp. <laughs> so um and um and uh yeah so it was very rules based um and that that fit pretty well with um you know with some of the um more popular theoretical linguistics frameworks that wanted to wanted to be very rules based and say no no we need to figure out you know these this this kind of uh recursive logical model uh th this is how we generate sentences in our brain um but um i you know i was always kind of like well why wouldn't we use statistics and probability 
Um, every other science uses it <laughs> for right. things. Why can't linguists use it? And um, I remember getting advice from um, a professor that I wrote to in New York saying, yeah, don't, don't mess with statistics. It's, it won't be good for your career. Mm. And I thought, wow, what a, I said, that's kind of um, not a good thing. <laughs> if, 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 if trying to use statistics and probability in a scientific endeavor, whether it's a hard science or a social science, where do you go? If that's not good for your career, then maybe, um, maybe, maybe I should look for a different career. Is kind of what I was thinking at the point. Interesting. So yeah, and then you know the rise of statistical and probabilistic techniques. It, it was just impossible to argue with the results, whether you had a theoretical. Um, you know, acts to grind or, or, you know, or, or there were some legitimate um, limitations in that way of doing it. It was just so hard though, to deny the fact that it just worked so well. And I think we're still seeing that mm -hmm. the, the secret though, is that you look at Google and they have their knowledge graph. That's a form of rules-based knowledge engineering. Um, and I remember seeing, uh, I remember I got a, a recruit recruiter email, um, a couple of years ago to work on ontologies at Apple. Um, and, uh, yeah, so an ontology is kind of effectively the same thing as like a, um, uh, a, a knowledge graph, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a graph structure or maybe a tree root structure and you've got, you know, the, the root um, and you go up and down and you can search it and traverse it. Um, and that's where you get the, that kind of classical AI, um, like A star search and breadth versus depth search and that kind of stuff. But the idea is that you would um, essentially create kind of like an entity map or you would allow these um, each node to have tuples or tuples, right? Maybe three characteristics or three properties. Um, and so an example a really simple example would be, you know, you might want to have a, a, a root node of animate, animate objects. And then maybe way, way, way down, you've got, you know, like a, a certain breed of a dog, right? Um, and so by, by simply traversing the kind of logical graph, um, you don't need to know that a breed of a dog is an animate object, um, meaning you don't have to hard code it because you just traverse the graph up to get that property. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, and I don't know because I've never worked at Google or Apple and I don't know anybody who, who works on these, but when you look at, um, a lot of the products and stuff, I see a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, still rules-based AI being used um in 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 concert um with statistical and probabilistic techniques and i and, and for many many years i've always um tried to imagine you know what that kind of more balanced or hybrid approach might look like where you've got these statistical and probabilistic techniques that are more of a kind of a a, a big net right that you're just oh i just need to make sense of all of the world uh, so maybe you would use statistical and probabilistic techniques there. And then once you've restricted the domain to a very specific thing, um, you may want to switch to a rules-based um, technique because it'll be more efficient. Um, yeah. That's interesting.
Yeah, one yeah, thing. But I, I, sorry, I oh, sorry, what were you saying? Well, I, I haven't really seen a, a, any systems uh, that are built like that, though. They're kind of hybrid like that, where mm. where they can, there's a switch. But I anticipate that you know the pendulum will swing back, and you'll see. It could be. I'm starting to see some some literature on large language models incorporating knowledge graphs to handle the the hallucination problem from uh, large mm -hmm. language models. So. Uh, yeah. We'll see, I mean, I need to dive more into this, and uh, but my uh, my my one of my friends, she's she's way into taxonomy, and um, well, she's a professionally trained taxonomist, so she she's a oh cool, cool. yeah yeah. So it's it's interesting, but what I, it's we're in a fascinating period of time too, where I feel like you're definitely seeing a convergence of various uh, techniques that I think up to now um, have kind of been. I, I hate to use the word religion with respect to uh, techniques, but I think that this is apt. Even that email that you said from that professor where they're dissuading you from statistical techniques because uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure of the motivation for saying that, but that's they did send an email saying that. So that's an opinion that they have. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen camps where it's like, you know, deep learning is the only way to go for everything. And if you're not using that, then it's it's crap and so forth. But what's, what's interesting now is you're starting to see various um, uh, techniques, you know, um, combining and some being, you know, dusted off, like go to the, go to the bin and find it and uh, yeah. you know, blow off the dust and then incorporate it into these, um, you know, these uh, very powerful you know, kind of main, mainstream techniques now, but it's a cool time yeah. in, in the space. So, Oh yeah. And from a, from a data point of view, you know, I always advise um, people and it's usually my first thought when I want to solve a problem, I think, Oh, maybe I'll use, you know, kind of a deep learning approach. Mm um it, it is to that should not be the baseline right the baseline should probably be something else um before you say oh now i need this kind of black box magical right because let's be honest i mean llms are magical they it's yeah. i read the so there's a paper by a guy named miklov um i think it was 2013 you know where he kind of that's kind of the modern um really where the modern point, I think in word vectors and word embeddings kind of takes off. Um, and he's like, yeah, this isn't anything new. We're just talking about word distributions, how a word is distributed throughout a corpus. Right. Um, but, you know, he, he was able to, to say, no, here's a really good way to represent words as numbers. Um, and if you haven't read that paper, it's, it's not a, uh, I think a difficult or long paper, but I remember when he goes through the example and he shows, oh, look, if you take the word vector for king and the word vector for man and you subtract them, you get the word vector for queen. And, and it was just like, what? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Just um, the, uh, the word to vec paper, right? Yeah. Example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I'm. I'm the the title of the actual paper escapes you right, right now. Right now, so I can't remember. It's, it, it has the, the the steamy title of efficient estimation of word representations in vector space. Yes. Is that yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it. You know, if you go look for the word vector or the word to vec or the word embedding paper, um, you, you won't find it using those keywords. But yeah. Yeah, because this came out of Google, uh, right? I think it's because uh, Jeff Dean was the mm -hmm. other person on this paper. That's how I remember this one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was yes. uh, 
Yeah, this is this is a big deal when it came out. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was massive, and I and I still I still um, I still refer this paper to people as well, um, and uh, you know that we were in, in fact we were in a workshop the other day and they were talking about the attention paper. Attention is all you need, mm-hmm. which is kind of the, the the modern. Well, I shouldn't say modern, but the Transformers paper, right? Yeah. Um, and I was kind of like, Hey, there's a, this other paper that you, you know, we should probably <laughs> you know, read as well, which is, um, maybe doesn't get as much attention now. Um, but, um, but man, I, yeah, I remember reading that paper and just being like, that's, that's absolutely insane. Um, and it made me want to really understand the data, right. Mm-hmm. And the transformations and, a lot of the data engineering that goes into that feature uh, building. And, um, you know, and nowadays, if you are trying to solve a problem and you just go reach for, you know, now it's all cloud, you know, the the cloud provider um, offerings are just, again, it's just kind of like magical in a way. You're like, whoa, I can have a large language model um, working on a problem you know in such a fast time because all these services are up and running um you when you do that you you're not you lose familiarity with the data that you're working with right unless you're already really really familiar with it and and you know from a company point of view and solving problems that always there's always something that worries me about that like, oh, we're going to go solve this problem, but we're not even going to look at the data. We're just going to hand it over, mm. right? And let, and let the the magic do its magic. And um, and and so you know, I always advise, yeah, maybe maybe try solving the problem with a simpler technique, an easier technique, um, and and at least get a baseline. Um, but also, it 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 forces you to get your hands dirty, right, and get into the data. Um, and, um, so yeah, that's, I think that's always a good thing. Um, um, and, and then, and then, you know, if you establish a baseline with a simpler technique, right? Like maybe it's just a kind of a classification or a regression mm-hmm. problem. Um, then you can then at least compare that to then, uh, you know, a, a deep learning approach and mm-hmm. see, did it actually, you know, is there much of a difference? Um, so that's, that's one thing that concerns me too, like with things like chat GPT and other things where mm. we just assume that it, it just works. And I don't, I don't see a lot of talk about, well, uh, how are you testing chat GPT? If, if you're using it in your company to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Not how OpenAI tests it, right? Not how uh, there there are various protocols now or, or standards I think that are starting to come out to say, hey, this this is the kind of analysis we need to do on the data that's being used to train these things and the this and the that. Um, Google, I think last just last week released um, a kind of a, um, a conceptual framework for security for AI. Um, which, which is cool seeing all these things um, uh, come out. Um, but 
like if it's your company and you're using an LLM that's been already been trained for you and just, just works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're using it to respond to customers. Um, great. But I don't see a lot of conversation from people about how they're then verifying like the relevance of the responses and the engagement, the quality of the engagement between a human and a, you know, right. let's say a dialogue. Um, and so it always makes me wonder, I'm like, well, how, how, how is everybody um, tracking that? Cause it, I think it's hard. <laughs> Well, it's really hard. I mean, it's hard enough when you have control of your own data and you're trying to make sense of it, right? And then you're throwing a new interface on top of it, right? So I, I've been having this this discussion a lot with uh, friends who have, um, you know, they work more in the data tooling space. They they have new, say, BI startups and throwing you know, large language models into the mix now. And the the central question really is, well, okay, so the the, um, the problem of like having a natural language interface on top of data that's pretty cool you can just chat with your data but to your point uh the, the big question is well how do you know that it's uh correct and even you know this uh, actually some I, I talked about the other day uh, with uh on my podcast um uh, with a uh, colin zima who runs omni um which is a new uh, bi startup as well but it's like even if say the data inputs are correct right there's no question about if the uh, data itself that's been trained on is correct it's because you're still dealing with a non-deterministic process Yeah. in terms of getting an answer back, the way it might convolute the answer may actually make the answer still incorrect, even though it's trained on the correct data inputs. And so that's, that's a risk. So to your point, even if you, if you have the right data, it still could give you a wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, yeah, I think it's even, Scary. Well, not, I shouldn't say scary, but it's even more problematic than that. Where if you're talking about things like you know the relevance and the quality, say so. Say you've got a dialogue agent or some some chat agent that's um, dealing with angry customers, right? Um, which is it, a, a thing I like to point out a lot because if you've ever done that kind of work or known someone who's done that kind of work, it's not good fun work right no, I, I worked in a call center when i was in college i did i think i tolerated two weeks of that work it sucked yeah <laughs> you know yeah you may have done this yeah it's, like, it's yeah yeah and and like it, you know when you get into all this talk about like oh these new technologies or these new kinds of ways of automating things are going to replace job x and job y it's like okay well there are some jobs where we know we probably want to not have people in because it's just not fun or cool um, or, or even, you know, semi-ethical. <laughs> um, I don't know that yet. That's too far. We're, we're dealing with angry customers. Is that, uh, is that an unethical job? I don't know. But, um, but, but, but say, yeah, you've got an, you know, an agent that's doing that. And now you've been able to reduce the number of people that work at the call center, say from a hundred to 10, um, because, uh, you know, you've got a nice wave, an automated way of dispositioning the calls and handling most of the problems. And so the, the, the rest of the, you know, human workforce that's there only handles the really severe escalations that, that can't be solved automatically. 
um, how do you go about, you know, evaluating that the that the engagement between the the customer and the dialogue agent yeah. is the kind of engagement that you want? Um, I mean, how do you how do you normally do that? Right? I mean, satisfaction score at the end of the call. Like, did you get benefit out of this call or something? Or I mean, how how, how is it normally scored right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's so. That would that's probably a, what's really there, right? Is um, well, so this is what's interesting. It gets into what I like to talk about: built-in versus bolted-on, right? Mm. So, so security is one of those things that you probably want built-in. Um, but uh, you know, this uh, a feedback loop is one of the things that I say should be built in. Right. And so, so yeah, if you're going to have this, you know, this hypothetical call support or call center dialogue agent, um, probably built into that feature, right. Is then, <clears throat> um, either a survey or some way to capture, um, the person who's engaging with that automated agent, um, a way to, to 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 rate the experience right um from, from day one <laughs> right mm -hmm. so that would be that would be the, the the first indication or the first thing that you know i would say you, you probably always want to have and then secondarily after that you know what I, you know i've never built anything in that space but what i've done in this stuff that i've worked with is um just building a lot of audits right mm. So going back over um, things that have been analyzed before, reanalyzing them or auditing them. Um, and then, of course, there's all the, the, the testing that you want to do beforehand. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, I would think we're probably going to start getting into a position where we're, we're building AI tools to evaluate other AI tools, right? Yeah. So some kind of reinforcement learning uh, agent, right? That's like, okay, well, I'll go, or or maybe it, you build a bot specifically, you know, angry bot or something, right? To go interact with the dialogue agent that's in production, um, and and that way you can capture and and evaluate and and manually inspect what that engagement looks like, right? And then and then maybe you know maybe you have a whole suite of of personalities, right? That you use to test against your dialogue agent in production in real time. Um, but the interactions are are isolated enough that you could actually go manually inspect that, right? Um, the, the other, yeah, but probably the big thing right now that I, I'm always pushing, yes, is if you can get the, if you can capture the user's um, interaction or data or input or have them label data while you've got them, um, then that's the most useful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, you know, it's something I remember years and years ago, Google released a, a free game and it was just a fun little game and they released it and everyone was like, Oh, did you go play this game? It was fun. And I was like, no, well, and then I realized that the game was the 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 actual objective of the game from Google's point of view is to get people to label images. Yeah. 
I can't, I can't remember. Maybe it was labeling images or something like that. But, it, but like, you know, it gets to kind of the spirit of the way it used to be where companies maybe kind of hid it, it hid that a little bit. They're like, oh, we're going to make you play a game, but really you're labeling our data so that we can go play with well, it. Well, they do that with CAPTCHA. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, think about what you're doing. It's like, show me all the fire hydrants in this okay. photo, right? It's like, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is, I don't know what's happened with capture lately, but it's gotten super aggressive or it makes you go through like several rounds of, uh, images. So it's like, yeah. find the school buses now. I'm like, am I being hazed for like a, <laughs> like a, some initiation or something like this is a lot of work. Um, yeah, it's, it's making the user experience pretty terrible with capture, which is already pretty crap in my opinion. But no, I mean, that's I mean, like you're, you're training. It's, yeah. Like, and that's a good and that's a good point from a from a product point of view. Right. Mm -hmm. um, what's the tolerance that, you know, your users are willing. So like in the call support example, uh, you know, if you have an angry customer, um, and maybe they get their thing resolved, but maybe they're still angry. Like, what's the likelihood that they're going to fill out some, you know, how was your engagement? How did this go? Right? right. They're, they're like, I'm upset. I don't want to fill out a survey about your bot. <laughs> or if they do, it's going to be, you know, it's absolutely terrible. Right. Um, yeah. Hating it. <laughs> yeah. Like my, my 13 year old kid, like one thing he likes to do is go on Google reviews and just read reviews for restaurants for some weird reason. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and especially likes to give thumbs up to the ones that are just absolutely scathing, um, which I'm like, all you're doing is reinforcing, like the, uh, bubbling up. This is a popular response. Uh, he doesn't understand how this works, but it's, um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. When customer service too, it's sort of a, uh, um, you know, when you call somebody, right? I had to call uh, this company the other day because a piece of furniture I bought, it's um, not living up to my expectations. And it's a very expensive piece of furniture, right? I, I When I get on the call, though, I'm very civil because I don't want to be that guy who, you know, they use in training calls later. Like, this is how you deal with a frustrated customer. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, I mean, I'm pretty upset, but I, I, you know, the person on the other end, too, is like, this person doesn't have any idea, like, why I'm calling or, um, you know, or the, the context. So, Try and keep to a minimum. Plus, I worked in those kind of jobs. There's a lot of empathy for uh, you know, just like crazy people that you meet on these on the other end of the phone. Dear Lord. Yeah. Um, but you know, but it was one of these things where um, you know, the initial uh interaction was okay, uh, I go to the chat, right? And the chat doesn't work. And it's like, would you like to buy something? And it's like, not really. And it's like, okay, call our number. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Um, or send an email, which went on unread. You know for a week um you know and finally got a hold of somebody and they're nice i guess we'll find out if they actually uh you know, come back but you know just but it, it's like if you're if you're upset though right there's a lot of these friction points i guess what i'm getting to is a lot of these like there's a lot of friction to get your answer resolved and i think this yeah. also compounds itself so if you're the kind of person who's going to be um you know just innately pissed off at somebody that it only makes you like fuming by the end of the call that like why did it take this effort to mm -hmm. get done right so yeah anything i'd give is going to be like I don't know. Probably not great. Any feedback? Yeah, but it, 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 yeah, and it's like now there's almost going to be like a, a customer support for customer support, right? Because <laughs> if if your customer support is now a a complex piece of software, we all know what complex pieces of software eventually do, <laughs> right? They eventually do something they're not supposed to, um, and and so. 
you know, it kind of reminds me too of some of the early, well, a couple of years ago. So a lot of the arguments about um, things like um, uh, social prejudices and biases, right? Not model bias, right? right? Um, two very different things, so they can overlap, but in the sense that where, you know, based on the training data, you may be, you know, persisting and propagating existing uh, biases and prejudices. Um, and, um, you know, some of the arguments were, well, you know, that's okay because society does it anyways, and but we can always retrain the models later. Um, and, you know, and try and reduce that. But the counter argument to that was always, uh, but yeah, but with a human, you can change their mind. A, a human, maybe the one day they just wake up and suddenly they're like, whoa, I can't believe that I'm like a horrible person. I'm going to change, right? Um, but when you've automated that, it's not going to change, like ever, right? And so, um, so it's interesting when you think about like a call center and customer support where, yeah, you can't control the interaction of, a, of say, an employee with an angry customer. Mm-hmm. But there's some there's some bit of a, a comfort, right? Knowing, that, okay, well, it's a human being and it's a person and they're talking to another person. Um, y- you know, there's a chance where, um, you know, even a, if this employee is having a good day or a bad day, right, they might... They might either make the customer more angry or less angry. Um, but when that's automated, right, if the automated bot is somehow making every customer angry, you've now just scaled out a way to make all of your customers more angry versus maybe one or two humans who are having a bad day, right? And the, the, per, the, the customer leaves even more angry. Um, so it, it, there's, yeah, it's like, I would like to see more conversation and more, uh, more presentations about how, um, how everybody's handling those kinds of, you know, hypothetical scenarios. They're hypothetical now because uh, I, I haven't, they're hypothetical to me because I haven't seen them, but right. I expect to start seeing some of those cases. <laughs> Same. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, and, the, and the, yeah, and the, the the interesting thing is, you know, if, if you if you built a bot with say a simpler technique, um, the the other thing that that can come up thinking about say making a bot that inadvertently makes all of your customers more angry, right? <laughs> Um, maybe there was something in in the data and in the transcripts that if you were a little more down into it, trying to get a baseline using simpler techniques and, you know, but, you know, having to munge around with the data more, um, you may have recognized, right, and seen and said, oh, you know, actually, we were going to do this, but now seeing a lot of these dialogue and transcripts, um, maybe we should make a different decision. Mm. Um, and that's happened to me where, you know, we had to do a, um, um, I was doing some topic modeling and it was based on these um, SMS exchanges at a company I worked at before. And, um, and as I was going through the data to do kind of the topic modeling, 
um, I, I found some, like I found some credit card. I found a credit card number. Oh. Yeah. And, and so we'd found out that people were sending plain text credit card numbers sometimes in, in SMS. And so now we had those at rest, right? In the Oh dear. Yeah. So we had to go scrub those out, right? And then and then be like, okay, people don't don't pass your credit card numbers and plain text in a text message. But it, you know, if we would have taken a different approach and just said, oh yeah, just take all the transcripts and throw them into this thing over here, and it'll do all the feature vectorization for us, and it'll do all this. We may not have ever discovered that, oh, whoops, we found some problem. We can go address it now. Uh, we may not have known if we hadn't, you know, hadn't been, you know, looking at the data. That's fascinating. It, it kind of makes you wonder, too, if, if you know, as, as a lot of companies start adopting, um, you know, some sort of a chat uh, AI interface, how, how, easy would it be to game another company's AI and have it start producing negative models that will piss off customers, right? If I just, yeah. you know, I, I could just DDoS you with a bunch of, um, you know, of my own messages that I know will will eventually have you retrain your data, um, make your model potentially worse. Um, I don't know, does that seem far-fetched or? Uh... No, it's my biggest nightmare. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um... And, you know, so I was just reading the abstract on a paper about um, um, prompt injection, mm -hmm. um, you know, which, you know, conceptually is like SQL injection, yeah. um, but that's effectively where they kind of, I think, are not the same. It's same concept, but very different. Um, kind of, but, and it was, um, what was the term? They were using a term, um, basically it meant like a hidden prompt injection. Mm. So there are these techniques where um, I'm not sure if they get into it in this paper, but I had read a summary about some research before where um, they were putting hidden text in the HTML of an open tab in the browser and able to inject into the prompt of another tab interacting with like a, 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 some chat client or whatever Ooh. and they were able to inject from another tab hidden text into that right? wow yes um and you know my brain just explodes with all the different possibilities in terms of uh, so you start to see the term poisoning uh poisoning the 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 uh the training data set um and um, which is a little different than the typical ML stuff where, um, you know, your, your training data gets kind of corrupted or it's kind of gross. This is like intentional um, all the way up to, you know, an, an imaginative scenario that's, you know, maybe a little far-fetched, but where you actually place particular text that you know is going to get scraped for training a model. Mm -hmm. And then once the model's trained and out live, you then um, use specialized prompts based on the text you know that you embedded into that training to try to do, you know, so kind of more of a, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a plant and then I'm going to try and 
trigger behavior later. Yeah. Um, and you could boost it too. say, oh yeah, this is, a, this is a great response. You should keep doing that response. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I wrote about this, uh, on LinkedIn several months ago, but it was, you know, it, when people started going crazy over, uh, the chat GPT announcement, my, my, the first thing that came to mind was, oh crap. So you're going to have, uh, a way different version of SEO, um, way worse in some ways. Cause you only get one response instead of a bunch of links. And, you know, I, I can imagine every SEO shop in the, in the universe now is figuring out, okay, so how do I game this? So my results come up first when things are asked, right? Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And, and from a data engineering point of view, right. Um, those are the people who are probably going to be asked to solve, you know, data poisoning problem or prompt inject, right? And it's kind of like, uh, wait, uh, okay, how, right? Like, there's just all these. I I really think you know, I, yeah. I don't want to say things like, oh, it's going to totally change because everyone's saying that, right? Oh, AI, this it's going to change everything, but but it's really hard to imagine how the world of security doesn't just completely, um, you know, the possibility of, of the kind of, and not just using AI to help with like threat detection. And I mean, that stuff's been around for a while. And, and, and I think the security community um, is now after a few years of being sold some, you know, some, some stuff that just doesn't work. Um, they're a little more cautious um, about using AI to do, you know, some of the normal cybersecurity and information security tasks. What's interesting to me, though, is the security for um, like AI chatbots or other kinds of models, right? How do you keep them secure? And that's where, you know, I think that there's a there's a high likelihood that it won't just be traditional cybersecurity techniques now applied to the ML world. It'll, there will probably be this whole new, you know, this whole new set of principles or not principles, but, you know, practices and, um, you know, it'll be a while before they get any principles because <laughs> any new technology, right. You get usually um, code wins code first. And then you're like ab abstract out the, kind of like you kind of like your book right the fundamentals of um of data engineering right like it it w once i saw a book like that i knew that data engineering was like a thing now right yeah. like it's like okay that's we, there's now enough agreement tooling arguments that we can now simply say look there's there's some pretty good principles here that we can extrapolate mm -hmm. um so I expect there will be many, many years of particularly in the security world. How do how do we make um, you know these these machine learning models or these LLMs um, more secure? It's a hard problem. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing that frightens me too is 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 from a um, um you know and, and not to get too political, but from like a nation state point of view. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, even GitHub early on had some DDoS stuff from, you know, that was originating from other nation states. And it was questionable whether, uh, okay, are these just some bad actors or is there literally like some geopolitical thing going on where it's like, yeah, let's, 
let's let's go hit GitHub because then every company in America that's using GitHub is now right. Um, I I I I, I have you know, weird dystopian nightmares about that too, where you've mm. got, you've got people building people or groups building targeted LLMs an LLM targeted just for you, Joe, mm. right? Like imagine that. And, and maybe you don't know it's an LLM and maybe it's like kind of multimedia and it sends you, uh, you know, a message on Twitter and then it sends you a text message or it sends you this or that. And I mean, that, it, before that would be a lot of work for like a Fisher or a, or, or any, you, you know, even if it was like yeah. espionage trying to recruit you or, you know, say, Hey, we know you're unhappy at your job at this, uh, you know, uh, federal lab. And, uh, I just want to be your friend. And then, you know, and then they kind of after a while. Well, yeah. Especially when you can deep fake, uh, all your friends and family too. Right. I mean, you can <laughs> have a very convincing, uh, conversation, um, you would be none the wiser. I don't think any of us would would know what the hell is going on, right? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> so, so yeah, so for so to bring it back to data engineering, right? It's like from a data engineering point of view, right? If 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 you're in a company where you do have access to a lot of the engagement, either the the text or the voice engagement with these agents, right? It's like what are we going to, you know, what are we going to be asked to do? Right. Mm. Um, kinds of audits or, or, or other kinds of, um, you know, things will, will grow out of that, um, and be added to the kind of the, the, the data engineering life cycle, you know, security is yeah. there for sure, but does it, does it, you know, change some of that? I don't think we captured, we didn't, we didn't foresee the world that we're in, uh, a year, you know, from when we wrote, then we hit publish on the book, right? It's like some things have changed um, since then. Uh, and the thing is, it's playing out in real time too. So I don't, I don't know what any of us, uh, um, you know, are, are in for uh, down the road. And, and today, also, incidentally, uh, on June fourteenth is when this is recorded. But the uh, uh, the EU's uh, AI um, Act, uh, at least the um, official draft, had been passed, and so that's. And kind yeah. of a watershed moment for um the world too because the, the, the direction is being set for um you know government regulation and, and as the eu goes it seems the rest of the world follows unless you don't want to do business in europe or european citizens in which case uh good luck with that so um yeah and, and it's you know the u.s has their own i mean hell even utah where we live there, there's they're talking about some ai regulation from utah now and uh, i have no really? idea yeah, yeah, I have no idea what that looks like. Um, uh, I mean, the the other cyber laws here. So uh, I'll just leave it at the word "interesting." That uh, I, <laughs> uh, so some some of these people, I wonder if they can spell AI, but that's a, that's a different question. So um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's always been a problem, right? With pol politicians and technology, where you're just <laughs> like, what, <laughs> why? Uh, you know, you get, yeah, you get out of this room of politicians and they're all voting on that. Uh, what was the really, it, it, the, the th I was just talking about this the other day. It was the, um, you know, it was some of the early protections where um, internet service providers weren't allowed to capture or benefit or, you know, or, or, or benefit from your, your, your web traffic. Right. Right. Um, and then suddenly that protection was just removed. And now ISPs are like probably, 
Who knows what they're oh, that selling? Was, was it net neutrality? Was that yeah? Was it different? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was all consumed with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, and the U.S. It's 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 interesting too because I feel like the the U.S. Um, approach to things is. I don't know. We always head back to commercial interests. Uh, I mean, less. So, you know, I, I just, um, you know, dropped a podcast today um, with my uh, talk with my friend, Marielle, who's uh, you know, helping with the, uh, she's helping with the, um, the AI Act, but also with the Council of Europe. So they have a separate um, uh, piece of legislation that more deals with human rights with AI, um, you know, of which I think the, she said the U.S. has actually signed on to it. Right. But that's the other component is we talk about the commercial and technical interests, but it's also what what human rights do we do we want to guarantee um you know or, or protect i suppose you can't really guarantee rights but you can protect them um uh and so you know that's 46 nations so far i believe so that's uh the us included um you know but but it's interesting because separately china has their own ai regulations they're going full steam ahead with and that's you know more incorporating their social values which are very unique to china into how they want to do stuff so i think they actually she said they sued somebody recently or like the first like, generative AI case, um, you know, to, to justice. It was a deep fake, and I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be that person that got busted. China's a different different story when they uh, go after you. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, yeah, and they and and they. I think they've shown what you can do when you when you take um, particularly some of the you know advanced machine vision and now some of these LLMs. I don't know if they were using LLMs, but. Um, but in, in terms of targeting either individuals or groups, right? And so, right. again, not too political, but the, the the ethnic group of Uyghurs that live in China, right, were, I mean, I think it's pretty... Uh, it's a known know, thing at this point, yeah. Yeah, it's not... I remember years and years ago seeing about it and trying to tell people like, oh, goodness, this is <laughs> this is not good. Um, uh, and uh, And so... Yeah, some of these, hopefully, some of these laws and protections that are coming out um, can can build around that. But it's it it's tricky because we, as professionals who work in the field, we don't even know what's going to happen. So how right, how are any? I think with the EU stuff they've done, they've done as good of a job as they're probably going to be able to do. I mean, they take they've taken a lot of input, and the thing is they, they've. The the people I know um, who have helped with the legislation, it's not like these are a bunch of like bureaucrats. Like they actually understand, you know, AI and NLP and and so forth. So I mean, they're making informed, you know, as, as far as best we can, you know, tell today, informed decisions. But again, it's it's hard to anticipate where this all goes. I mean, I, I will say it, it's it's interesting. I was having a you know a, a, you know a cordial debate online with some friends about this, and some are like, well, we don't need that regulations at all. I'm like, well. I don't know if that's a that's, that's a proper stance either. Um, I mean, this thing's you know. You, I think you, this is one situation where you need to get ahead of it. Um, you know how you do that. You know, it's. I think you're just going to take the best stab you can. And but uh, you know, I think we we see yeah. what happens if you don't make an attempt to do anything. You just uh, you know, you get Cambridge Analytica, for example. Um, you know, but it, it's it's. I mean, could you could you could that be prevented with this? I I don't I don't know. I mean, that's above my pay grade. So, yeah, no, I, I agree, though. It's 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 harder to get uh, protections and laws in place than it is to update them, you know, and modernize them. Right. Um, 
So it's a, it's a, it's a good move, even if uh, hopefully, yeah, the, there, there's that sense in which, okay, in five years, maybe a lot of these will be revisited. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe, I don't know, you know, the history of AI is weird that way. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, uh, irrational exuberance, I think is probably just the best way to put um, estimates in the history. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the story goes in the fifties when DARPA or the defense department, you know, came to these group of scientists and engineers and linguists and philosophers and mathematicians and said, Hey, um, can you build something that will, you know, translate Russian technical journals into English? Six months. I think that was the initial estimate. Yeah, we can have it in six months. And here we are like 70 years later and, you know, machine translation is pretty good, but (laughs) it's a a little off from, I mean, you know, none of us are good at estimating work, right. In our sprints and stuff. It's like, okay. I like to say developers are the most optimistic people on the planet. Right. We're like, Oh, I can do that in an hour. Right. That always, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much experience you meet someone like, ah, yeah, it should take me like an hour. And then like three hours later, it's like, ah, I got it wrong again. But um, yeah, six months to like 70 years, I think is, is that's a little too, too much. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, eh. we'll see where it ends up, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. Um, Well, been a great chatting with you um uh, hope you have a uh, good uh day i hope you get some rest from the uh the, the alert fatigue so um yeah uh, yeah it happens literal better. fatigue right yeah right <laughs> yeah uh for people who want to uh learn more about you where can they find you um i guess i'm on linkedin um i'm, I'm not really a big uh social media uh person um so LinkedIn is is probably the only place I'm at right now. Um, I, I I do like to um, hang out in the Mastodon um, um, infosec dot exchange. Um, that's a pretty cool instance. Um, if you're looking for, you know, I'm not an information security professional, but I I enjoy being around information security people. Couldn't tell. <laughs> and see, yeah, and, and just seeing everything. So um those are really the only two places I'm at. I um yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Well, yeah, thanks for being uh thanks for being on the show and thanks for uh, the, the great conversation. So we'll uh see you. Uh, yeah, thanks. Hopefully see you in Utah some at some point. So whenever you make it up uh up to Salt Lake, uh yeah, uh, drop me a line, we'll go meet up. So Okay. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye.